0: Good morning, church family. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, Most of you know me. Uh, If you don't, my name is John Hudlow. I'm a member here at Preston Highlands, and it is my privilege to bring you this morning's message. Uh, We'll be in Psalm 47 this morning, which in your pew Bible is on page 441. Psalm 47. We'll be talking about how God is king over the whole earth, uh, why his kingship is good news for the world, how we should respond to his kingship, and uh, we'll be hearing about his purpose for his kingdom. Uh, This morning we'll be looking at four themes in this psalm. The king's majesty, the king's bounty, the king's reception, and the king's purpose. Psalm 47. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us, and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. So we will begin by considering the king's majesty in the first couple of verses. This psalm opens with a call to worship and celebration, a call that is not just for the ancient nation of Israel, but for all nations, for all people, including you and me. Pull out all the stops. Let's have a round of applause. It's time to whoop and holler at the top of your lungs. Why? What are we celebrating? We're celebrating the majesty of God. We are celebrating the king of the whole earth. We'll be talking a lot about kingship today. Now, in the United States, we haven't had an earthly king since the original Brexit in 1776. We have a president, but that isn't quite the same thing. The president's powers are limited. Um, he needs the approval of Congress for most of the things he wants to do, Um, and the people get to decide every four years who the president is. I say that's a good thing. Um, God warned the people of Israel through the prophet Samuel that there are some serious downsides to handing all the power in the nation over to a human king, and the experience of history suggests it's Better not to give one man or woman unlimited power. Even in nations that still have a king or queen, many have wisely chosen to divide the power of government between the king and a parliament, perhaps also an elected prime minister, so that one person isn't calling all the shots. But God is not that kind of king. God is a king like no other. His power knows no limits and his authority is complete. Um, His will is law for the entire universe, and that is good news because, uh, unlike human rulers, God is a perfect king. Unlike any man or woman who could be king or president, God knows everything there is to know. His rule is perfectly just. And he cannot be corrupted. This is the king who gives the nations reason to celebrate, and celebrate we will. Verse 2 introduces this king to us. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. The psalmist calls God by two names here. The first is the name Yahweh, translated the Lord or I am, the personal covenant name of God. This is not just whichever God you happen to worship in your culture, not just a higher power that is out there somewhere. This is the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob, who revealed himself to the people of Israel. The second name the psalmist uses is Most High. The God of Israel is not just one God among many. He is the Most High. He reigns supreme above every power in heaven and on earth. There is no one higher No one more powerful, more glorious, more holy, more worthy of our worship than God. The next thing we learn about God is that he is to be feared. The Lord, the Most High, this God is to be feared. For many Christians living today, the idea that God is someone to be feared is uncomfortable maybe even embarrassing. In general, we don't like to be afraid, and we don't like people who make us afraid. A man who gains power by striking fear into his followers is not a leader we admire. But God is not a mere man. He is the holy creator. His glory, his authority, his righteousness, his his Godness fills sinful man with terror, and rightly so. The psalmist certainly isn't embarrassed to say that God is to be feared. Far from it. Rather, he sees God's fearful power as a reason for the world to rejoice. Indeed, it is part of what makes God a great king. The Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king. Over all the earth. It is a privilege to belong to the kingdom of a great king. The power, the wealth, the splendor that we uh, associate with being a king are not for the king's benefit only, they are also for the benefit of his people. The greatness of a king gives his people confidence, joy, and pride in their nation. Even the poorest subject of a great kingdom can take pride in being the subject of a great king. And God, of course, is the greatest of all kings. God's greatness is our glory too. We do not exalt ourselves, but him as our Lord. We take pride not in the greatness of our own kingdoms, but of his He is our boast. He is our delight. No matter whether you are a struggling single mom or a CEO, your best claim to greatness is to be a part of the kingdom of God. The human heart longs to know greatness, to see glory, to be a part of what is ultimate That's because God designed us to be part of his kingdom and to worship him as our king. Having seen that God is most high, that he is to be feared, and that he is a great king, we now see that God is king over all the earth. A great king over all the earth, in verse 2. Human kings rule over a finite kingdom with borders around it right? You step outside that border, you're not under that king anymore. Um, Very powerful kings may govern vast empires. They're still finite. Only God is king over the whole earth, over all of humanity. The nations around Israel worshipped local gods, thought to rule over a particular country, Uh, or perhaps over a particular type of land or specific aspect of life, like war or health, fertility. But the Lord, the Most High, is no such tribal deity. His kingdom includes the whole earth, and he rules over the nations of men." God has the right to rule over all the earth for multiple reasons. God is the king over all the earth because he is the most high of any being in the universe. He is king because he is to be feared. He is the most he is more powerful than anyone or anything else. And he is the king because he is the creator. He has authority over everything because he made it. Psalm 100, verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And Paul said, speaking of Jesus Christ, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In Colossians 1.16, there is no part of the earth that is outside of the dominion of the Lord. All of the world, all of creation, all of life, everything that exists exists belongs to him, and he claims full authority over everything. As the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. This is good news for all peoples, for all nations, Jesus Christ is the King of all. By the way, brothers and sisters, don't ever be ashamed to share the good news of salvation in Christ with those who are from uh, a different country, who come from a different religious tradition, um, to those who um, would say they already have a God that is not our God because our God is king of all the earth. If you have a friend who was raised to serve a false god, King Jesus has as much right to his or her, to your friend's praise as he does to your praise. It is right that we should share this good news with people of every nation, of every background. Because God has infinite majesty... He can use his unlimited power and resources to bless his people. In verses 3 and 4, we see the king's bounty. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet, verse 3. In this verse, we see that God is the champion and the defender of his people. The psalmist gratefully remembers the ways in which God gave the tiny nation of Israel victory over their many enemies again and again and again. Under Moses, God delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, one of the world's great superpowers of the time, with acts of supernatural power. He preserved them through 40 years of wandering through the Sinai Desert with no land of their own. He carried them to victory over the Canaanite nations that stood in their way in the promised land, and he rescued them from the cruel domination of the Moabites, the Midianites, the Philistines, and others. For the psalmist, this was cause for celebration indeed. But what about the rest of the world? Can all the nations rejoice in the victory God gave to Israel? Well, absolutely we can. After all, it is through Israel that God kept his promise to Abraham that in Abraham all the families of the earth would be blessed. Jesus Christ came out of Israel. God showed himself strong on Israel's behalf to show the whole world the kind of God that he is one who is the champion and defender of his people, and he is our champion and defender as well. Most of us haven't experienced the threat of foreign invasion, and yet we also live in a world at war. Satan and his evil forces are always fighting against God. They're always fighting against everyone who serves God, in fact, against the whole creation, everything that God has made. If you are a Christian, or if you're not a Christian, uh, either way, you have a target on your back. Satan wants to deceive you, to gain power over you, to make you his unwitting ally. And if he can't do that, he will do anything he can to break you down, to discourage, to defeat you. But Christian, you serve the Lord, the Most High, the one who is to be feared far more than our enemy. And he is your champion, your defender. We do not have to be afraid of those who hate us, whether uh, human or spiritual powers. The same God who defeated the armies of Midian, setting themselves against Israel, who defeated them through Gideon and his 300 men, has given us victory over the armies of hell. God's bounty also means that he is the source and provider for his people. Verse 4 speaks of God's provision for Israel of a homeland. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. When God called Abraham out of Ur, to walk the trails of Canaan. He did not give Abraham any place to call home. Instead, God promised Abraham that his descendants would possess the land Abraham walked on. When God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and gave them victory over their enemies, he gave them the land of Canaan for a permanent possession. By giving them a land of their own, God kept his promise to Abraham and he blessed his people with a new prosperity, a new lifestyle, a new security. The psalmist exclaims with delight that God chose Israel's heritage for them. You might ask, what is so great about that? In our consumer culture, most of us like to make our own choices about what we will own. People spend untold hours and untold dollars picking out a unique pile of possessions that expresses their own identity, their own personality, their own sense of fashion. Businesses make almost every product in a great variety of colors and styles just to satisfy the customer's desire to choose. But the psalmist is rightly glad that his home is not just a place he marked out for himself, but rather the land that God chose for his covenant people. When our identity is in Christ, when our confidence and our hope are in him, we would rather have what he has chosen for us than what we would choose for ourselves. God not only meets our needs, but he defines our needs. He knew everything that he would ever give us before we were even born, and he knows how to give us good gifts better than we know how even to ask for them. Now that the psalmist has described the king's majesty and the king's generous bounty, he calls for the king's reception. Verses 5 through 7. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with a song. If you haven't noticed already, this is a noisy song. Everything about it is loud. Verse 1 calls on the earth's whole population to clap their hands, to sing, and shout to God. And then these verses, 5 through 7, say God has gone up with a shout, he's announced with a trumpet, and then he tells us five times in a row to sing. That's because the greatness and the goodness of God to us demands a response. It is not enough to know that God is a great king and quietly enjoy the benefits of living in his kingdom. This God is worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the celebration we can give him. And even our own enjoyment of his gifts would be incomplete if it does not overflow into praise and thanksgiving to the one who gave them. Verse 5 says God has gone up with a shout the Lord with a sound of a trumpet. This verse may very well refer to the day when King David finally had the ark of the covenant brought into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, 2 Samuel 6:15 says of that day, so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn Imagine the wonder of that day when the visible sign of God's presence with his people was brought into the royal city. The story says that David danced before the Lord with all his might, overcome with joy and the glory of God. David didn't care about his own kingly dignity because he was in the presence of a much greater king. What about you and me? When we meet to celebrate the king in our midst, are we overcome with the joy of his presence? Or are we just trying to fit in? I'm going to preach to myself a little bit here. I have loved singing to the Lord in worship service my whole life, ever since I was a child. But when it comes to other demonstrations of worship, I've been very guarded Singing is great, but uh, looking at some of the other commands in this psalm, uh, shouting out loud, clapping my hands, raising my hands. doesn't say to raise your hands, but that's another thing that I might do. But I, uh, I don't, usually. I wouldn't want people to think that I'm one of those charismatics. Mm. But what does that kind of worry have to do with celebrating the King of Kings? God is worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the celebration we can give Him. Don't be afraid to worship the Lord with your mind, with your heart, with your hands, with your mouth, with all of you. You were made for this. Now, I'm not saying that to really worship God, you need to make a scene. We don't all need to start jumping up and down or doing cartwheels down the aisle during the worship service. As Jared said last week, our goal in worship isn't to become a distraction by drawing attention to ourselves. But what I am saying is that God is worthy of your full, free, and unashamed and emotion-filled worship. When we sing, let's sing boldly and loudly and joyfully. Maybe you don't know if you're a great singer. That does not matter. You're singing to the Lord, and I promise you, He loves to hear your voice. Verses 6 and 7 say, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. The repetition in these verses calls us to linger in praise and worship, to give ourselves fully and repeatedly to the praise of God. Our praise is not a one-and-done task. Along with repeating the call to sing, these verses keep reminding us of the one we're singing to, the one we're praising, our God, our King, the King of the whole earth. That's the job of worship songs, by the way, to hold up the majesty, the glory of God for our adoration and praise so that the people's worship should be a response to Him. Our focus when we worship, when we praise, Our focus is not on our experience, but continually on the God who is worthy of our praise. Having called the people to respond in praise, the psalmist returns to tell of the excellence of God, this time telling us about the king's purpose. Verses 8 and 9. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. I'm going to stop there. This is the reality above all the events you see in the news. No matter what the latest story is from the White House, from Kabul, from the great halls of power around the earth, um, it is all under the control of the God who rules over the nations. That may not be what you see, but that is the true reality. God directs the course of history. He raises up kings and removes kings. He forms nations, and he scatters them. He defends and protects his people, the church, through every adversity that we face. And above all the kingdoms of the world, God's kingdom is the ultimate reality. He is the king of all. God's kingdom is also coming. Already, his kingdom is on the move. Look at verse 9. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. God is already sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, but this verse looks forward to the day when people from every nation will gladly serve the Lord as their king. This coming day started when the Son of God came to earth as a man, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus often spoke of this kingdom, saying to crowds of people, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom continues to come in this age as God's people proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus to the dark and sinful world around them. The Apostle Paul declared that those who have been reconciled to Christ are ambassadors for Christ, for his kingdom, God making his appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5.20 A day is coming when Jesus Christ will bring the kingdom of God to this world in its fullness. So the kingdom of God is real, it is coming, and it will come. Evil, pain, sorrow, they'll all be forgotten under the complete and perfect rule of the one true King. The Apostle John had a vision of the future in which people from every nation will praise God in um, Revelation seven. Should I mark it? After this I looked and behold. Amen. May it even be so. Going back to um, Psalm 47, this psalm closes with a reminder that God's kingdom is above every other kingdom. For the shields of the earth belong to the Lord, to belong to God. He is highly exalted. Shields are symbols of power and security. A great and powerful king would equip his army with shields to protect them, to make them effective in battle. King Solomon made a set, a matching set of 500 golden shields for his royal palace as symbols of the strength and glory of his kingdom. After the kingdom divided in the days of his son Rehoboam, The king of Egypt came up and attacked and plundered Jerusalem, carrying off the shields that Solomon had made. And Rehoboam did not have the strength to get the shields back or the resources to replace them with gold. So he had bronze shields made in their place. The ownership of the golden shields showed where the true power lay. Well, the powers on earth rise and fall, and it's a scary thing when the nation you live in comes under the dominion of a foreign power. Today, our nation, the United States, is the most powerful nation on earth. Tomorrow, who knows? That distinction may go to China or some other country that we wouldn't even guess. But no matter what nation is currently at the top of the heap, God owns all the shields of the earth. The power, the glory of nations all belongs to Him. As Christians, we can rest secure knowing that the God who is our King, our champion, our defender is the King of the whole earth. For those of us who have received Christ Jesus as our Lord, as our King, may this psalm fill our hearts with joy in his majesty, and the peace of knowing that he holds our world in his hands. If you have never welcomed Jesus as your Lord, as your King, it's not too late. No matter how many times you may have rebelled against his kingship, it is possible for you to be forgiven, for you to be cleansed, free, welcomed into his kingdom, and adopted into his very family. Jesus died the death of a rebel so that rebels against his rule might live forever. If he is calling you to himself this morning, please come and talk to me or one of the elders here. You could have a new reason to celebrate today. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you that you are our king and that you have given us the opportunity to give you um, the praise that is your due. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with the joy of belonging to your kingdom, that you would move us to submit our lives to your kingly rule this week. Lord, I thank you that you are our champion, that you are our defender And that because you are our king, we have no need to be afraid of anything in our lives. I thank you. I praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.